Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast by Worthy. I'm Jennifer Butler, and I'm your host. The more you love yourself, the less nonsense you'll tolerate. This is one of your favorite quotes we recently featured on our Instagram page, one of our favorites too. And I love it because it really sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about today. We here at Worthy recently launched a survey called Jumping In, Dating After Divorce in 2019. This survey was created in partnership with our guest today, Dr. Kristen Davin and five other experts. If you haven't taken the survey yet, head over to worthy.com forward slash promotions forward slash jumping dash in. When you take the survey, you're automatically entered to win $500. Plus, it's a fun and informative way to help us better help you. Since we're talking about dating, the question has come up from many in our community about how we can even begin to learn to trust again and open up to the possibility of love, especially if we're coming from a toxic marriage, infidelity, or any other sort of unhealthy situation. We often will look for the answer to this question outside ourselves, thinking about what we need a future partner to do differently or how others need to be in order for us to feel safe. But Dr. D says the how to loving and trusting again is all about the questions we ask ourselves and our willingness to explore the answers we find. Dr. D has come up with eight powerful questions you need to ask yourself when you're considering dating again, and I am so excited to share these questions with you. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Kristen Davin. When you sell a piece of jewelry, you can't control how much it's worth, but you can make sure that you're selling smart with a team of experts and advocates behind you at Worthy. Your engagement ring can be a financial asset that allows you to embrace a new and fulfilling life after divorce. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. I am so excited to be kicking off season two with the very, very special guest, proactive and approachable Dr. Kristen Davin, or Dr. D, has been described as a straight shooter. She helps people embrace change, cultivate healthier relationships, and become more effective communicators both personally and professionally. Her areas of focus are divorce, marriage, dating, life transitions, and relationships. By tapping into a person's strengths, she helps people maximize their life and live authentically. Dr. D is also a wonderful writer, and we are so grateful that she writes for our blog here at Worthy and that she collaborates with us for events, surveys, and all sorts of things. You can also find Dr. D's work on marriage.com, The Minds Journal, as well as in the book, Think Financially, Not Emotionally, by Jeff Landers. Please, please, please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Dr. Kristen Davin, or Dr. D as we like to call her. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, thank you, Jennifer. That was uh, an amazing opening. I really appreciate uh, all those uh, kind words and and as well as this wonderful opportunity to help people get on the other side of their divorce and also just to learn, you know, healthier and effective ways to get back into the dating world should they choose that, but more importantly, just become 
the best version of them of themselves post divorce. So thank you again for this wonderful opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're so happy that you're doing this with us. And, you know, we recently launched that survey jumping in dating after divorce in 2019. And you partnered with us in creating that. And so you really are such a perfect person to be talking to us about love and trust and dating after divorce. Yeah, that was just a really fun survey to get involved with. I was just so happy and pleased that Judy Herbst had asked me to be, you know, to participate in that. And uh, it was just a really great way to figure out ways in which you can really help women and people just figure out where they are and where they want to be. So it was just a really fun thing to participate in. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, like it's a survey and, but like you just said, a really fun way to see where you're at. We're going to get into this talking more deeply today, but with a little survey, you really get people to, to sit down and think and be conscious about where they're at. And so, you know, it's a great little fun way to do that. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to the results of that mm-hmm. and what kind of information we can we can glean from that and how we're going to move that forward in some way. And, and I think that once the results come out, I think it'll be really uh, interesting for everybody to, to look at that and to see where they are and see how other people answered like they did. And so I'm really look, looking forward to getting some additional information once that's all done. Yeah, me too. Me as well. And then maybe we'll have you back on so we can discuss the results. <laughs> well, that would be That would be fun. I'd love that opportunity. That would be awesome. But today we're going to be talking about, like I said, how to love and trust again after divorce. I love your perspective and your voice on this. And I really, I can't wait to jump in and share with our listeners what you have to say. But let's start a little bit with you talking just a little about yourself, you know, why you're passionate about the work you do, especially with women post-divorce. Well, I, I'm a psychologist, but I also really consider myself a relationship therapist. And I, you know, I work in the city, New York City, and I also have an office in New Jersey. And and I'm passionate because, well, you know, I've been divorced twice, and I and I chuckle with that because I'm a marriage counselor too. So, and uh, I'm happily married to a, an amazing person, amazing man now. But I also feel that I have an opportunity, right, to help a lot of people because I am divorced mm-hmm. and the, the struggles that I encountered with, with both of those. And, yeah. and I think that, you know, sometimes if we just take a step back and we say, how can I help other people move through this very complicated process of divorce and the emotional roller coaster that goes along with it, then you really want to be able to, to do that for other people. And I'm also interested and passionate about it because it's just um, a, a huge chapter in someone's life, and it's a huge transition. And anything you can do, anything any person can do as, a, as an expert or as a person who helps other people, help them as well, right? Because you really want to get that tribe going, and you really need support. Yeah. So it's just people helping people. It's women helping other women. Like, say, hey, you know, I've been there. I get it. And let me help you move through it. Yeah. And this topic of, you know, love and, and trust after divorce, I think it's a big one. I think it's scary and a little intimidating to kind of re-enter the world after divorce and begin dating for many reasons. But what I hear a lot coming from women in our community and in the outside world is how do you ever trust anyone again? How do you ever let yourself fall, quote unquote, again? Yeah, that, that that's key. That, that's key for 
for a lot of reasons, right? Just, just trusting again. I think that's just a really, uh, it's a big hurdle for a lot of women. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we hear a lot is how do I know if he is the right person or she, or how can they make me feel safe or, you know, kind of always about the other person and how do you wrap your head around that other person? And you really flip this on its head because you say that loving and trusting has nothing to do with the other person. It's really about the questions that you're asking yourself and the willingness that you have to truthfully explore those answers that you find. Right. And when you, and when you approached me and we were, and you know, we were talking about, and I was thinking about these questions, when I sat back and I thought about it, these questions, really the key, the, the very key thing to do in the beginning is to be, have the ability to, to take a step back and to create greater clarity for yourself and greater insight so that people can harness more introspection for themselves. Mm-hmm. And to your point about trusting, you know, yes, you want to love and trust that person, but it's really about love and trusting yourself first because women can say, or people can say, I don't really trust this person. And that might be true. And how am I going to trust another person? But in the beginning, it really is about how can I learn to trust myself again, trust my decisions, trust in the direction that I'm going. I think that that is the foundation from which women can expand from. And then they can start to uh, ask themselves these questions. But in the beginning, it's how can I trust myself and the decisions that I've made? Yeah, exactly. And, and what you just said, the decisions that I've made, because when you've gone through a divorce, you start questioning your judgment from the past. Yeah, you question a lot of things. Yeah. And so how can I trust myself going forward if I couldn't trust myself back then? Right. And so, you know, in answering these questions, it's learning, it's, it's helping someone change the narrative for themselves, right? It's helping mm. them to say, yes, you, you know, you, you want to love and trust somebody. Of course you do, but let's, let's start that stuff at home first. Absolutely. And I love those words, change the narrative, because we all have a story going on in our heads. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. Yeah. And so when, like you said, you take that step back and you sit and discuss these questions with yourself internally and change your narrative. So you've created really eight powerful questions that women need to ask themselves when they're considering dating again, or maybe even before that, you know, maybe just coming out of divorce and really healing and getting to know themselves and changing their narrative. But these eight questions are really, really powerful. And so I'm excited for you to share them with our listeners. And we'll talk about each one as we kind of go through. So your first question what are your takeaways from this marriage and divorce? Let's take a big step back and exhale, and then we can start to look at these questions. So the takeaways are, what have I learned from this marriage and divorce? Right? What are the strengths that I take from this time in my life? Because we all have strengths. And I think most of the time, my experience has been, it has demonstrated to me that we have a tendency to focus right, on all the problems and challenges. But the truth is, is that we have a lot of strengths that often we forget about or we really don't give any energy to or any time. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to garner greater insight and look at strengths and your challenges. What did I learn? What were the good things about that marriage? And then how can I look at those things? And how can I also then say, okay, and so what are some of my major takeaways from from this marriage and this divorce? Right after divorce, especially when the wound is so fresh, I know even for me, when I went through it, thinking about the good things can be really painful, Yes, right? Like we sometimes don't want to think about those good things. We want to focus on 
everything that was awful and our reasons why we're so right or, you know, shouldn't be in that relationship. What can we expect from gathering the courage to remember the good? Well, there was a time that you liked that person, wasn't there? <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. there was a time in your life that you loved that person and you married that person. And there was a time that you could pick out many things that were positive about that person. And I would be shocked if someone said, well, I can't think of one, one positive thing. And so to your point, it is, it is challenging to pick out the positive things when we're, we're in this really terrible spot and it's an emotional roller coaster and there's just a lot of negativity. But you can also think about not only the positive things maybe about that person, but also about yourself. Mm. This was who I was when I met this person. That's a strength of mine. You know, these are the things I'm taking away from, from this from this marriage and, and looking to yourself for, for some of those strengths. And that will allow you to have a more balanced and objective view of, of what you're going through. Mm, I love that. I love that. Because again, taking it off of thinking so much about the other person and bringing it back to, to yourself. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So beautiful. Okay. So that first question is, you know, what are your takeaways from this marriage and divorce? And just sitting with that and coming through with those strengths. Beautiful. Thank the you. Second question. <laughs> yeah. Do you recognize any patterns in the partners you choose? So I think that when people are getting divorced, and certainly in, in my situation, when I got divorced a second time, and this was many, many years ago, was that I really, I had to stop myself in my tracks and say, okay, what's going on here? Because I cannot, I'm not going to, you know, live the next 40 or 50 years like I lived you know, the first 40 or 50, whatever. And so it's really about, are there patterns of people that you have in your life? So if you've been married more than once, or you're going through a divorce, or even if this is only your only divorce, uh, or your first divorce, it's really about, are there any patterns that I can recognize in other previous relationships, or even relationships with friends that I have? Mm. And so it's, I think it's incumbent upon ourselves to say, all right, if I want to move forward, I'm going to move through this divorce. I want to make sure that I've checked those boxes as far as can I identify any types of patterns, if there are. Maybe there are none. And that's okay too. But oftentimes when we once again, take a step back and we want to connect the dots, we can find some patterns and often they're hiding in plain sight. Do you find that there are times when there's no pattern? Well, I think that by and large, there's, there's patterns in, in the people that we choose in our lives, yeah. right? And if we, if we think about the maybe unhealthy people or relationships that have come and gone, those that have been with friends and those that have been with, with intimate partners, you know, sometimes and oftentimes, but not always, of course, people are going to find some patterns there or, or some choices that they've made. Right. And so this is, this is important for us to be able to look at ourselves objectively and say, okay. Where those patterns start is that from my first family, what we call in, in this you know, psychotherapy world is your family of origin. Mm -hmm. And is there something there that maybe started me down this path? And then this, this has created a certain pattern. Right. And then once they kind of see the pattern, then they can start to shift out of it, correct? That's correct. Which, which kind of goes into the next question as right. well. Right. Exactly. Are there specific triggers that you can identify? Yeah. And I, and I include that. I included that question because... Once again, my experience when I'm working with people, they don't really give themselves the bandwidth or the space to think about triggers. They, mm. there, are, there are sometimes we're so caught up in all that emotion that we really 
can't see what's hiding, like I said, in, in plain sight. And so we have to identify, are there certain triggers in our life, people, places, things, history, past relationships that people, how they act or things that kind of trigger us emotionally or sometimes on a very visceral level that we can identify. And those things are important because sometimes, well, often, if, if we don't identify the triggers, then we're not really sitting with what's going on. And, and often we just start moving in a direction without recognizing, oh, maybe this isn't really the best direction for me. Mm. And so if you come from, and lots of women on, on, on the Worthy um, Facebook page, right, a lot of them have been with narcissistic partners and marriages, et cetera. And so that, that, that's very traumatizing. And what's most important is that we really identify all right, when I move forward in another relationship or dating or whatever your future is going to hold for yourself, what are these things that are going to come up for me? And I really have to hone in on them. And I really have to really acknowledge this intuitiveness that we all have. And I really want to make sure that I can tap into that strength of mine. And when I see these triggers, when I see these flags, those are the things that I, I really must identify and be aware of so that I don't, once again, go into those patterns. So the triggers, you kind of align them with the red flags, right? Sure. Are triggers something that people should kind of watch for in order to not make the same mistake, but also possibly places for them to grow? Exactly. So I think that's a great point. So it's about if you want more personal growth, a trigger might be Lots of these men are very, you know, suave and the the wolf in sheep's clothing the and charmers, and, the, the charmers. And, yeah. and if, and, and if someone's coming across like that and, and you start to, you start, oh boy, and you start to really identify that there's an area of, oh, there's my red flag. I need to back away from that because I know how this is going to end. Right. And it's those, those types of subtleties and those types of flags that come up that writing them down and saying, okay, when I have a person who's acting a certain way or saying certain things, this is a trigger for me that I know I have to check myself and exit, right? Right. So that I don't go back and ignore what, what I know to be true, because I've experienced that. You want to tap into that voice. Yeah, absolutely. And what is it about this sort of behavior that either pulls me in or triggers me? Correct. So this next question, so what type of lifestyle is important to you? I don't think that people even when they're getting married the first time, really spend time with this. Right. And I think that the lifestyle question and the value question are, are somewhat wedded in a way, you know, uh, no pun intended there. Um, <laughs> we, we cultivate this type of lifestyle that we really want for ourselves, whatever that might look like. I'm an, I'm an active person. I'm a couch potato. I'm curious. I want to keep learning. I want to, I love sports. I love to read this is my lifestyle. If I were to define it, I would say, oh, I'd like to do these types of things. I really want someone who's very similar to that. And this is something that I have found not to be necessarily static. It's something that sometimes we have interests when we're younger that we no longer do, but it's really looking inward and identifying the type of life that you want to live. I want a big family. I don't want any children. I want to continue my education. It could be lots of things. The most important thing is to identify, you know, what kind of lifestyle you want and that's important to you so that when you partner up, should that choice be yours again, then you really identify with who you are and how you want to live so that you choose someone of, of similar. Right. And it doesn't just really work itself out, which I think is what a lot of people think, oh, it'll just work out. You know, it, we'll figure it out. 
Yeah. You know, and it doesn't. Those are some of the very, you know, simple but big factors that can cause a lot of conflict. Sure, it can, especially with such things as how much time they spend socially with friends, mm. how, if that's important, if they like to go out and drink or party or do certain things, if they like to work out in the beginning, oh, that's okay that they're going out five nights a week or something like that. Or I don't really care that they're a couch potato, but eventually, right? Yeah. It's those things that will catch up with you. And it's those things that you thought you could ignore and toss it aside. But those are the very things that bother you in the end, right? Yeah. Because then all, all of a sudden they become the problem. Absolutely. And I know you said that that question sort of weds with the next question. I'm going to take a really quick break here. And I think it's a good moment. We're going to be right back with more from Dr. D on these eight powerful questions. When I decided to sell my jewelry after my divorce, the most important thing to me was finding a company that I could trust and one that would also advocate for me. I found this and so much more at Worthy. Their expert staff immediately put me at ease and helped me to get the best price possible for my jewelry. Your engagement ring can be a symbol of your freedom, your journey, and the choices you have made to live your life on your terms and create the future you desire. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. We are back talking with Dr. D about how to love and trust again after divorce. And we are discussing these eight powerful questions that Dr. D has come up with really to flip the whole discussion on its head and stop focusing our attention outward, but really focusing it inward on ourselves and how we can love and trust ourselves and know ourselves again. So then we can enter the world, the dating world in a more confident way. And so we've discussed our first four questions. And now we're going to move on to the fifth question. What are the values that are important to you? Great. Yeah. So like when I spoke about the, the lifestyle, lifestyle and values. So values to me are more static, right? Those are the things that create a foundation. And those are the things that we learn very early in our life. Mm. Values such as spirituality or religion or education or work, family, life, balance, honesty, integrity, trust, truth, all of those things that we're taught become the, our own value system. And if we don't honor that, then we will find ourselves down a different path. And we don't really want to relinquish those values that are really important to us. And so when we think about finding another person or dating, is asking yourself, okay, what are my values and how important are they? For example, you could have several values, some of those I just named, and some of those things can be less important to you. And that's okay. So that when you're dating and you're want to partner up with someone, you really want to find someone with similar values and that you're not on these opposite spectrums. Or if you say, oh, family life is important to me and it looks like this, whatever that might be, seeing my family every week or seeing them once a year, whatever that might be. And I'm okay with that. And I'm a little flexible with that. So if I find someone who wants to see their family more or less, I'm okay. So you can have these different values in your life with different importance, but you just want to make sure that you understand and you really acknowledge 
and hold true to your own values and that you do not, like I said, relinquish them and say, well, you know, that's okay. I'm going to put that one aside because much like lifestyle choices, those things do come back to bite you. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. Know, in the dating world or with dating coaches and things like that, you hear a lot about people talking about knowing your non-negotiables. Sure. In your opinion, are those non-negotiables best sort of utilized as values? Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I think that's a great question. And it makes me think about the three lists, right? When I, when I help people out, here's your three lists, the must-haves, I can mm. compromise. I really don't care. The must-haves are the must-haves. And if you relinquish on them, th- those things will become the issue. Must-have, doesn't matter what they are. Has to have an education. I don't care if they have an education. Uh, must live in a certain area. Must have a certain type of family. Must come from a certain type of religion or ethnicity. It could be anything. Right. A lot of your must-haves are your values, to your point. And then the middle column is I can compromise. I have some wiggle room. I'm flexible in my thinking. And then the last column is I really don't care. I don't care what they do for a living, what car they drive, how much they go out. It doesn't really matter. These are all about you. These are all these things about yourself that you that you value and they're important. Yeah, that's awesome. Must have compromise. I don't care. So the next question, you know, what and how do you want your life to look like in this next chapter? When people give themselves the space to think, instead of saying, I don't know to that question, what do you want your life to look like? I don't know. And I say, sure you do. Let's just, let's just talk that out. I think you know the answer to that because I'm a believer that people know the answers to most things, but they don't give themselves the time or energy to think about it. Mm -hmm. And that if you could close your eyes and visualize an image of your life, what would that be? And then you help them describe that. And when they describe that and they talk about that picture that they see, right? Whether that be, I want to go back to school. I want to live somewhere else. I want a different job. It really, it's, it's amazing the transformation that when they actually talk that out, they're like, wow, I didn't know I knew all that. I didn't know I really had an idea. And maybe some people don't really have a clear idea and that's okay because you want to at least to have them start visualizing and start that process of thinking differently about their life. Right. And visualizing something so that they can help to answer that question. And one way to do that is to ask the miracle question, right? And the miracle question is, if you went to bed tonight, when you went to sleep tonight and a miracle happened overnight, and when you wake up in the morning, how would you know that a miracle had occurred? How would you be behaving differently and thinking differently and feeling differently? And it forces in a very effective and healthy way to springboard a person into their future to create this miracle, right? And this is how my life is going to look. And then when you have your end game, you take a step back and you start to set short and long-term goals to that end. I love that question. I think too, because I think people are afraid to dream big. You know, they're afraid to let themselves go to the possibility of a miracle. And so unless they're challenged or asked that directly, you know, they'll think, well, I just want somebody who's not going to leave, or I just want a good guy who's going to, you know, make breakfast with me. You know, like they're just afraid to voice that dream. And I think what you just said is really great. You just said, I just want someone who's not going to leave. And you're thinking, that's it? Right. That's that's all you want? Yeah. And they're like, well, may, well, maybe not. Like to your point, let's just think bigger. Yeah. Hey, 
what do you really want it to look like? Well, of course you don't want someone to leave. I mean, yes, but let's get you off the emotional path for a bit and think a little bit more rationally and strategically about your life. Because when you help people through divorce, through it or after it, it's really about two paths, right? It's helping them manage the emotional part of, of the whole process. That's one path. And then also providing and helping them gain clarity and skills and strategies and thinking differently about their life. Mm -hmm. So I, I never take only one path. You have to really take both at the same time because you cannot really allow a person to be stuck in the emotions for an extended period of time because they're, then they're always going to feel stuck. But nor can you just help someone gain skills and strategies without identifying their emotions. Right. And so it's that overlap of those two paths being wedded in a way that you, you move them along so that you're processing their emotions, but also helping them in a strategic and strength-based way. Yeah. And I mean, this is a whole other topic, but what you're saying is exactly why having the support of a coach or a therapist or just somebody along this journey is so powerful. And for this next question too, you know, what will some of your challenges and fears be in this next chapter? Right. So, because we're all going to have those challenges and those fears. And so we have the strengths, but we're also going to say, my fears might be, I might not find another person. My fear might be, I'm going to feel stuck for, for years on end. And when we can identify the fears and we can start to face the fears and we can take a cognitive approach or a rational approach to all right, is this fear, is this really a fact or is it just really a feeling? I'm fearful of, okay, but is there any kind of fact behind that? Mm. And people get really wrapped up in their fears and it keeps them stuck. You know, we've both worked with people like that, that yeah. they're just kind of stuck in cement and their fear just engulfs them and their challenges engulf them. And you want to identify the challenges and fears, but you really have to balance that out with, all right, well, what have you overcome? Yeah. What challenges have you overcome? What fears have you overcome? What skills can you use from the, the things that you've achieved and the things that you've overcome to your advantage during this, this chapter of your life, right? right? Because they have accomplished things. But like we said in the beginning, we forget about those things. We forget about the strengths we have. We forget about the positive things of this person. And we forget the events in our life that we have overcome and been empowered by. Yeah. You know, is it in Pretty Woman when she says, you know, it's easier to, to believe the bad than it is the good things that people say sure. about you, you know, and yeah. it's, it's very true. We forget to focus on our strengths and our, the things we've overcome. Right. And that strength list can start with two things. Who cares? It's really a process of helping someone thinking differently about themselves and about their life and their yeah. circumstances, right? Because it really is a situation and you're like, okay, here's a situation in my life. And I have to find a way to, to move through it, not around it, but through it. And how am I going to do that in, in, in ways that are good for me, in ways that are healthy for me? I have a friend who is stuck, and I know she would let me share the story. She took a huge poster board, created, I believe it was a peace sign, and she did the whole thing with little post-it notes. And on each post-it note was something she did in her life, something she learned, overcame, whether it was getting my driver's license to, you know, I learned how to make dinner. I learned how to um, drive a car, whatever that is. But she filled the entire thing. It must have been hundreds of little post-it notes coming from feeling stuck in this place of, I can't do anything, right? You know? Wow. That's amazing. It was just so powerful to look at. And so the experience for her was life transforming. 
Right. And, and in doing that, it, it provides something very tangible because they're dumping their brain with all those really good things. And there's a board there and they can look at it and see it. And you can't unsee that anymore. Right. 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 So, and it's right there in front of you. And it's something that they can keep looking at and adding to. Very powerful. Yeah. I mean, like you said at the very beginning, change your narrative. Well, there it is in your face. You can no longer have the same narrative. Correct. So question number eight, how can you demand more of yourself in this next chapter? And I love this question. (laughs) (laughs) So when I use the word demand, I use that in a positive way. Oh, don't be demanding on a person, you know, nagging them or to be demanding. That's not really what, what the question is there. It's more about how can you start to raise a bar for yourself? You know, and I'm not talking about having these lofty expectations and demanding all these, you know, unachievable things. How can I bring my best version to myself? How can I be the best version of myself? What does that mean for me? You know, I, how can I use this event in my life as something positive and powerful and not, and not negative? And it's really about the choices that you want to make, the changes you need to make. The, the strengths you need to identify, the challenges you need to identify, and really saying, okay, this is what, what I'm taking away from this, this time of my life, and this is how I want to move forward, how I want to create the best version of myself, how do I want to self-actualize so that I am the best version for myself. Oh, and by the way, if I meet someone along the way, even better if that's, if that's what you want to do in your life, if that's the path that you want. Right. But for but for ourselves, it's really about being our best version of ourselves so that when we go out into the dating world, if that's our path, we are not changing ourselves to fit for someone. We are looking for a good fit for ourselves instead of trying to be something or someone for someone else. Yeah. It's really about, no, I want to find someone who is good for me because I've done the red flags. I know what my values are. I know what my triggers are. I go back to all these questions. This is my story. And so I want to be the best version of myself. And these are the things I need to do, answer these questions to create that person for myself. And then we can start to move in that direction. Yeah, it's very powerful. I mean, and and I love the word demand really, because it's really about elevating, right? Uplifting. Sure. Right. Uplifting and raising the bar for ourselves and saying, instead of saying, I want someone who doesn't leave. Okay. It's like, I want to find a confident person. I'm a confident person. I want some who's of equal or, or close to that. I want this type of person in my life. I'm going to raise the bar. It's not going to be just so this person doesn't leave. It's going to be so much more than that. And I'm going to take the time to, to figure all that stuff out so that I am in a really good space when I embarked on a new path. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, thanks. Just trying to help people. You know, it's just really about helping people get to a better space and a better place, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you want people to be happy and healthy. When I work with people, I don't want to see them for years on end. I want to get them happy and healthy. And when I say back out on the street, because that's what you'd want for someone, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So do you suggest people who are listening, get a journal and maybe just sit with this, take time to answer these questions write about them? Is that sort of a good process for them? 
Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think it's it's really about a brain dump and you know giving yourself some time, whether it be a few minutes a day. If you if you get up in the morning and your intention is I'm going to write five or ten minutes in my journal, I'm going to continue to answer one of these questions, or I'm going to move on to the next one, or really start to think about things because when we write things down, we see things very differently. When we allow ourselves to think freely about different things without having any limitations on us. When we go back and read those things, they can be very powerful and they can really help us, help us to change instead of, you know, keeping them in our, in our mind all the time and circling the same questions over and over and over again. I say to people, if you're going to ask the question, you have to answer the question, right? Right. Absolutely. So powerful. Okay. So one last final question for you. And we talked a little bit about this in the middle, but you know, when, we're going through a difficult time, it can be hard to see beyond the struggle, right? Sometimes that's where our focus is. And so in your own words, what can you share with our listeners around what you believe is possible for them? Like on the other side of divorce and the pain Mm. and all of the struggle and maybe the muddy waters that some people might be going through, what's on that other side I think that's a great question. And I think that there are just so many possibilities you really have within yourself to not only ask and answer these questions, but to create a new path for yourself, right? Because, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's really about how can I make the changes necessary for my life? And for those who are listening, you have a lot of what you already need. Mm. And maybe you need to get some support from your tribe or from a, from a professional. But at the end of the day, you really want to start viewing yourself in, in some ways, just a little bit more self-centered. And I don't mean that in an ego-driven way. It's really about how can I be selfish during this time? And that really should be a takeaway. I need to be selfish for myself right now and to get myself on a better track. And those are all the things that you're able to do. People have a lot more strength than they give themselves credit for. And they have a lot, they have a greater ability than they ever think. And it's really about thinking beyond, I'm stuck. It's more about, I know I can get myself unstuck. I'm going to start taking that path. So powerful. Thank you so much for being here with us, for kicking off season two on this podcast with us here at Worthy. We were so grateful to have you here. And well, I'm really grateful and happy for the opportunity. And thank you so much for asking me. And I'm so happy to be the first person. And I I know it's going to be, I'm sure, a wonderful season for you and Worthy. Thank you so much. And where can our listeners find you? They can just Google me, you know, kristendavin.com. They can email me at drkristendavin at Gmail. I've got a Facebook fan page. I've got Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, that type of thing on my social media. And so just by putting my name in, you know, you can just, you can find me. Like I said, I've got an office in New York City. I also do video coaching and therapy, and I'm also in uh, New Jersey. Perfect. And we're going to have all those links and your contact available with this podcast as well. So terrific. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Kristen Davin for joining us and to all of you for listening. Next week, we will be joined by Elise Pettis, the founder of untie.net, where we will be chatting about the importance of community when going through divorce. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you be able to find us. And 
join our Facebook group, Worthy Women and Divorce, where you will find a community of love, support, and wisdom. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. Worthy is an online auction platform designed to help you sell valuable items like an engagement ring or a wedding set. When you decide to send your ring in, we pay for the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely to our New York office. Once we receive the ring, we have it professionally graded and photographed, which helps it sell competitively in our buyer network. One of the best parts of working with Worthy is that you get to set the minimum on your item. After the grading, our gemologist will give you a recommended selling minimum, but at the end of the day, you get to decide how much you're willing to sell the ring for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send you your ring back and we'll even cover the cost of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more.